Chapter 4 of Hellenic History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. Hellenic History by George Willis Botsford. Chapter 4 Economic Growth and Colonial Expansion bc 750 to 479 agriculture the decline of minoan culture had been accompanied by a vast depopulation made good only in part by the infiltration of strangers in the middle age forests grew up over many a field that had once been tilled or occupied by human dwellings as the Hellenes emerge from the darkness of that time, we find them, at the close of the 8th century, chiefly engaged in grazing and agriculture. There remained abundant public land on the mountain slopes, on which the citizens freely pastured their flocks and cut wood for fuel and building. The arable fields were the property of king, gods, associations of various kinds and citizen families our chief source for the beginning of this period is hesiod's works and days he instructs the peasant proprietor first of all to get a cottage and a woman and an ox for ploughing and all necessary furnishings in his house for neighbors do not like to land keep a sharp-toothed dog, stint not his food, lest a day-slumbering man rob thee of thy belongings. His advice is directed chiefly, however, to the small country esquire, whose manor-house stands near the group of slave cabins. Yet, even on such an estate, life is simple and full of toil. The Lord labors along with his slaves, they use a wooden plough drawn by a pair of steers, a mattock for breaking the clods, and a rude two-wheeled cart for conveyance. They have no mill for grinding grain. Wheat were more commonly barley and spelt, but crush it in a mortar after threshing it on a hard-beaten floor. Their grain and wine they stow for the winter in large earthen jars, as had been done in the Minoan age. The labors of the seasons they regulate according to the movements of the stars and the phenomena of plant and animal life. The rising of Arcturus announces spring, and when they see the snails climbing the plants, they sharpen sickles for the harvest. Life is an endless round of toil, with a slight relaxation in the coldest month when the fierce northeast wind brings to earth many a lofty oak and branching pine in the mountain dells, or in the hottest summer, when the tuneful cicadae shrilly sing, it is permitted the Lord to rest in a shady grotto while he eats his roast kid or beef and drinks his biblian wine well mixed with water. We catch but one pleasing glimpse of indoor life where the unwedded, tender girl bides near her dear mother. 
After bathing and anointing herself with oil, she sleeps peacefully during the night, while out of the doors the homeless polypus gnaws his own foot in dismal haunts. Conditions in Attica were similar. Besides grain and grapes, this country produced an abundance of honey, figs and olives. The oil was used for anointing the body, and in the preparation of food, and much remained for exportation. The government carefully regulated the planting and care of trees, the location of hives, the digging of ditches, and the use of water from public and private wells. Country life grows difficult. The incoming northerners had infused Hellas with a tremendous physical vitality. The rapid increase of population made country life more and more difficult. Peasant estates, divided equally among the sons, soon became too small to support a family even in a prosperous season. And when the crops failed, the situation of the poorer farmers grew desperate. Better it is, says Hesiod, to bring up but a single son, especially as hares often waste the estate in litigation, and the judges are ready to give the verdict to the one who brings the largest bribe. The common man in the hands of a magistrate is like a nightingale in the hawk's clutches. It is well, therefore, eschewing litigation, to work and save and avoid borrowing. In Attica, a mortgage pillar was placed on the farm of the debtor, and in failure to pay, the estate fell to the creditor. In such a case, the debtor generally became a tenant on the land he once had owned, paying his lord a sixth part of the produce. Further borrowing placed a mortgage on the security of his own person, or on that of his wife or children. Such debts were hopeless, and served as a step to slavery. Some escaped their doom by flight. In Boeotia, day-slumbering highwaymen infested the roads. Round the smith's forge, or in the rude clubhouses of the village, gathered throngs of homeless beings, who filled their idle hours with evil plots. Everywhere in Attica stood mortgage pillars, holding black earth in slavery. Many peasants, once free, toiled trembling under their master's caprices. Many others were sold, often illegally, into foreign lands. The agricultural population was fast falling into slavery. The liberation of the Attic peasantry by Solon will be considered in another chapter. The gloomy outlook filled the Boeotian poet with darkest forebodings for the human race. While, however, he was reiterating his only proposal for a cure, work and save, the problem was elsewhere finding solution in the growth of skilled labor. The rise of industry. During the Middle Age, the highly developed Minoan industries had almost disappeared, and in the semi-barbarism of the period, mankind reverted to the primitive custom of making at home nearly everything needed in house or field.
the village smith and potter wrought for their immediate neighborhood. In the coast towns were shipwrights skilled in building the small round-bottomed boats of the time propelled by a sail and at most by thirty oars. With the help of his slaves, the lord built his own house, and women wove the necessary garments. Only the rich could purchase a few luxuries, as tapestries, jewelry, and medicine, from Ionian or Phoenician traders, or beautifully dyed woolens and linens brought from Lydia and Caria. Gradually, however, as life became more settled, and wealth accumulated in the hands of lords, arose a demand for better wares, than could be supplied by unskilled hands. To meet this need, some of the poor who felt cramped on their little farms, or were made homeless by economic oppression, began manufacturing on a small scale. Those who had skill and thrift grew wealthy. Many an impoverished lord betook himself to such an occupation, and many a wealthy noble invested part of his capital in trade. Men of the same branch of industry banded themselves together for mutual encouragement and protection. The guild, thus arising, patterned itself after the gens, for blood was the firmest bond which united men. As the Alcmeonidae were sons of Alcmeon, the smiths of Athens called themselves the sons of bronze, Calchidae. There were, too, the Praxirgidae, handicrafts' sons, and various other artisan guilds. In these times, work was no disgrace. In the fact that in early Attica, the guilds won political privileges speaks well for their reputation. Slavery Hand in hand with skilled industry developed slavery. A workman who could buy a single slave for his shop became a capitalist on a small scale, which was generally enlarged with future purchases till the master outrivaled the old noble in wealth and could contend with him for political supremacy. The growth of industry was accordingly interwoven with the political and constitutional development of Greece. Lydian, Ionian, and Lesbian Industries The industries of the New Age had their principal origin in Ionia and her neighbor Lydia, a country of diverse natural resources. Hence it was that in the 7th century Lydian headbands, sandals, and golden ornaments for the person were among the most highly prized luxuries of Hellas. Soon, however, these products were excelled by the brilliant efforts of Ionians and Lesbians. Miletus won fame for her finely woven woolens of rich violet, saffron, purple, and scarlet colors, and her rare embroideries for the decoration of hats and robes. Doubtless, her workshops produced a wide range of wares, not mentioned in history, such as were demanded by the increasing refinement of her civilization. 
Second only to Miletus were other cities of Ionia, and Mytilene on the island of Lesbos. Notably, Glaucus of Chios discovered a process for welding iron, which proved invaluable in the useful and fine arts. About the same time, certain Samians introduced bronze casting into Greece from the Orient. Aegina and Chalcis Naturally, the extension of skilled industry over Greece was from east to west. Aegina, whose scant soil forced the people to industry and commerce, produced bronze work, such as cauldrons, tripods, and sculptured figures and groups, in addition to small wares of various kinds. In Euboea, on the street of Euripus, Chalcis became a thriving industrial city, with bronze obtained in part from neighboring mines and with purple mollusk caught in the strait, she manufactured wares for war and peace and costly dyes for kings and nobles. Corinth In industry and commerce, Chalcis had eventually to yield to Corinth, from early time renowned for wealth. Its citadel was Acrocorinthus, a steep and lofty peak commanding a view of the isthmus below and of a wide expanse of country all about the two harbors one on the saronic gulf the other on the corinthian afforded easy commerce with the east and the west to avoid the hazardous doubling of cape malia ships were unloaded their freight which, under a toll to the city, was transported across the isthmus. Early dreams of a canal were idle, but in time was constructed a tramway for hauling ships across. The city was not simply a mart, but a thriving center of industry, which produced vases showing oriental influence, bronzewares for utensils and arms, well-woven and beautifully dyed woolen fabrics for clothing and tapestries. Even the Ionians, not content with their rich native fabrics, welcomed the Corinthian robes of purple, sea-green, hyacinth, violet, and brilliant red. In the vases were exported wines, olive oil, and toilet ointments. These activities were fostered by the government. The king had been supplanted by the members of his gens, the Bacchiade, who, forming a close aristocracy, refused intermarriage with any other class. During their ninety years of rule, 647 to 557, they developed the useful and decorative arts to a high stage of excellence, and in friendly cooperation with Calchas, they extended their lines of traffic in various directions. Megara and Attica Immediately to the north of Corinth was Megara, a little city-state with a narrow territory extending across the isthmus. The soil was stony, scarcely fit for anything but grazing. This condition compelled the Megarians to manufacture, with their scant means, coarse woolens and heavy potteries, 
and from both their narrow coasts to traffic with the east and west. In the 7th and 6th centuries, Attica remained essentially agricultural. It did export, however, oil and probably wine in beautifully painted vases. Her great industrial and commercial development belongs to the following period. Other centers of industry and traffic will be mentioned in other connections. Colonial Expansion About 750 to 550 With the economic development of the period is closely connected a great movement of colonial expansion. While in agricultural districts the departure of emigrants lightened the burden of excessive population, the growth of thriving cities demanded not only an increased food supply, but an importation of raw materials from distant countries and markets for manufactured products. Added to the need of an outlet for the surplus population and the requirements of industry and commerce were the love of adventure and enterprise and the fortune-hunting spirit inborn in many Greeks. And as time went on, not a few were detached from their home countries by the political unrest which attended the evolution of government, from monarchy to aristocracy, tyranny and democracy. Minoan, Etruscan and Chalcidic colonization the Minoans had traded with Sicily and with Italy, as far north at least as Campania, and had sent colonists thither. The last remnant most probably was the Etruscan people, whose Minoan ancestors came to Italy no later than 800. Then the mariners of Chalcis followed in the Etruscan path to Campania, for barter with the natives. About 750, they planted their first colony in Italy. The chief object was trade, as we may infer from its location on the little island of Pithecuse, of the promontory of Mycenum. Here, the strangers could defend themselves far better than on the mainland. It was a lovely isle with beautiful landscape, rich soil, and an exhaustless supply of the best clay to be found in Italy. From there they crossed over to the mainland and settled Cume, by ancient repute the oldest Greek colony in the peninsula. Its founding, however, could have been no earlier than the middle of the 8th century. Long afterward Cume, in conjunction with some Athenians, settled Neapolis on the Bay of Naples. The Cumeans manufactured vases and metalwares for trade with the native Ausonians, in whose country they were settled, and with the Latins farther north. Their fields unstintingly yielded grain, with which in after years they could relieve the city of Rome when distressed with famine. Cumean Culture on the loftiest hill of the city, the Cumaeans built a temple to Apollo, in which they erected a wooden statue no less than fifteen feet in height. 
The shrine was a center of culture, which at that time was all religious. Here the Greeks continued to expand the myths of their race, making Odysseus, Ulysses, and other national heroes visit the shores of Italy in their wanderings. The volcanic character of the land suggested the presence of supernature, the terrific battle of the giants, for the ownership of a fertile neighboring plain, the cavernous mouth of Hades' realm, and the mysterious abode of the Sibyl, Apollo's prophetess, who wrote her oracles on leaves. This was the first Hellenic center of culture with which the Romans came in touch. Thence they borrowed the cult of Apollo and the art of writing. Other Chalcidic Colonies Afterward, the Cumaeans with other colonists from the mother city founded Zancle, the sickle-shaped town, on the Sicilian side of the Strait of Messine. In later years, after receiving an accession of immigrants from Messenia, it came to be named Messini, Messana. Other Chalcidic towns were Regium, on the opposite side of the strait, and Hymera, on the northern coast of Sicily, far to the west of Zancle. Achaean Colonies Meanwhile, Achaeans from northern Peloponnese founded Sibaris in the instep of the peninsula. Built in a plain which was unhealthful yet marvelously productive, the town drew abundant wealth from the soil. Her people expanded by colonization and conquest, till, it is said, they ruled over four nationalities and twenty-five cities. In their final struggle with Croton, we are informed with undoubted exaggeration that they placed 300,000 men in the field. A colony on the west coast, founded partly by them, was Posidonia, which now attracts a continual stream of tourists by its temple ruins. In a district malarial and thinly peopled, yet surpassingly fertile, stands the temple to Posidon, impressive in its lonely majesty. Originally agricultural, the Achaeans developed a great commerce, especially as intermediaries between Ionia and Etruria. Milesian woolens of fine texture brought to Sibaris were transported across the peninsula to her coast colonies, where Etruscan merchants eagerly bought them. Croton, another Achaean city, acquired the territory inferior to that of Sibaris, but a superior fame for athletism and war. Locri, a colony from Locris, remained purely agricultural, hence far inferior in wealth and population to the great Achaean cities. Here arose the first Indo-European law code, which tradition assigns to Zaleucus. Dorian Colonies, Tarentum In Italy, the Dorians made one settlement of primary importance, Tarentum, founded, according to traditions, 
from Laconia in the time of the Messenian Wars. It was on an excellent harbor in the instep of Italy, northeast of Sibaris. The settlers wrested from the native Yapigians a wide tract of land, in which they occupied themselves with farming and sheep-raising. Equally important were fishing and the preparation of purple dye. The Tarentines developed a great industry in weaving and dyeing fine woolens, as well as in vase-making. Their wares they exported throughout the peninsula. The Greek colonists, and by no means least among them the Tarentines, profoundly affected the history of Italy. Syracuse, founded 734. Among the earliest colonizers of Sicily were the Corinthians. Archias, a noble sailing from Corinth, left a band of settlers on Corcyra. Thence, proceeding to Sicily, he founded Syracuse on the island of Ortigia. The fountain Arethusa supplied copious fresh water, while the great and little harbors gave certain promise of a splendid commercial future. The colonists divided among themselves the adjacent territory, in large estates to be worked by serfs called Kilirians. We do not know the origin of this class, but evidently the natives, Sices, formed a great part of it. Far more numerous than their lords, they corresponded in status to the helots of Laconia described below. Thus, the society of the colony differentiated into great landlords, a middle class of merchants and artisans, serfs, and purchased slaves. Soon, the city outgrew the island and expanded over the neighboring plateau. Under favoring conditions of location and soil, Syracuse was destined in the days of her greatness to become the most populous and the most strongly fortified city in Europe. Acragas, Agrigentum, and other colonies in Sicily. Many other Dorian colonies from various cities were planted in southern Sicily, the most brilliant of which was Acragas. Its founders, after long toils bravely borne, took by a riverside a sacred dwelling place and became the eye of Sicily, and a life of good luck claved to them to crown their inborn worth. Their citadel was a lofty ridge two miles from the shore. Beneath this shelter on the south, the city grew up on the high ground between two mountain streams which joined below before flowing onto the sea. The river's estuary served as a harbor. There, the jars of oil and wine produced in the rich fields about the city were loaded for shipment to the eager marts of Carthage, whence a back-returning stream of silver marvelously enriched the Acragantines. Other colonies of Sicily to be named in the course of this narrative, need not be mentioned here. 
a wreath of Hellenic settlements nearly encircled the flowery island. Only in the west the Phoenicians, receding somewhat before the aggressive Greeks, stubbornly maintained themselves. Importance of the Western Greek Colonies The economic and cultural history of the Italian and Sicilian Greeks is closely twinned on the one hand with that of the mother country, on the other with that of Rome. They interest us not only for their own contributions to civilization and their reactive stimulus to older Hellas, but even more as a mighty factor in the civilization of Italy, and through Italy of Central and Western Europe. Improved navigation and the far western colonies. Spain. The earlier voyages to these shores had been made in small round-bottomed boats described above. In the 7th century developed a somewhat longer vessel, with flatter bottom furnished with 50 oars and armed with a bronze beak for attack. These improved ships conveyed the Samians, and more actively the Phocaeans, in their distant voyages to Iberia, Spain, whose gold, silver and copper attracted them. Beyond the pillars of Heracles in the stormy Atlantic, the Cassiterides Isles and distant Britain yielded tin, a metal chiefly prized as an ingredient of bronze. In the tin trade, the Phoenicians were intermediaries between Greeks and natives, colonies in Gaul. On the southern coast of Gaul, Phocians founded Massalia, Marseille, long the chief center of Hellenic culture in the western Mediterranean, mother of a cluster of colonies in Gaul and Iberia, and school of the neighboring barbarians who learned there to speak and write the Hellenic tongue. The Greeks of this region brought with them the Ionian laws, and from Ephesus the cult of Artemis, whose temples rose in every city. We must accordingly regard the Phocians as the forerunners of Rome in the work of civilizing southwestern Europe, northern Aegean colonies. A somewhat different interest attaches to colonial movements in other directions. The founding of settlements on the Thracian Sea and along the Hellespont and Propontis served merely to expand Aegean Hellas to its natural limits. In the occupation of the Chalcidic Peninsula, the name itself suggests that Chalcis took the lead though Eritrea and Corinth participated. The country was rough, but the chief occupation was agriculture along with fishing. In later time, the timber of the region proved a source of revenue, and in the neighborhood were the mines of Mount Pangaeus. It was through these colonies that the Macedonians of the interior, a backward Hellenic people, slowly acquired the civilization of their progressive southern kinsmen. Colonies on the Hellespont and Propontis. Meanwhile, the Ionians were sailing through the Hellespont and the Propontis, 
and along the coasts of the Black Sea, to catch the tiny fish, to trade with the natives, and to plant settlements on all the shores. Miletus alone is said to have founded no less than ninety in this region. Most important, however, was Byzantium on the Propontis, the most famous among the colonies of Megara. It is situated on a spacious bay, in touch with migrating shoals of fish, an exhaustless source of wealth to the inhabitants. Their command of the strait enabled them to levy tolls on passing ships, while splendid opportunities for commerce, combined with a strong defensible position, further contributed to their prosperity. A thousand years after its founding this city under the name of Constantinople, became the capital of the Roman Empire, colonies on the Black Sea. Although Hellenic settlements surrounded the Black Sea in a nearly unbroken chain, their civilization failed to penetrate far into the interior or materially to affect the natives. For such results, the settlers were all too few. To Hellas, the Black Sea region, while offering little intellectual aid, furnished useful products, especially fish, timber, dyes, wheat, metals, cattle, and slaves. Naucratis, Egypt In another direction, Greek enterprise was to bear rich intellectual fruit. About the middle of the 7th century, Psameticus had made himself master of Egypt, with the help of bronze-clad Ionian and Carian rovers of the sea. He and his dynasty were therefore most friendly to the Greeks. A settlement of Ionian traders, on the Canobic channel of the Nile, they permitted accordingly to grow till it became the colony of Naucratis. Here, under the protection of the government, various Greek cities of Asia Minor and the neighboring islands, together with Aegina, established their warehouse for trade. The king enlisted many Greek mercenaries. The natives, whose country produced few grapes, enjoyed the wines imported from Greece and sent in exchange the varied products of the Orient. A class of native interpreters acquainted with the Hellenic tongue grew up, who entranced the curious tourist with wondrous tales of folklore and religion and medical skill, of engineering and building achievement in the erection of pyramid or labyrinth or temple, whose immensity and durability awed the impressionable Hellenic mind. The importation of papyrus into Greece cheapened writing material, while the elementary facts of geometry and astronomy brought home by inquisitive tourists stimulated the birth of Hellenic science and philosophy. To the opening of Egypt, therefore, we may trace in part the great intellectual awakening of Hellas. Motive and Effects of Colonization It is unnecessary in these pages 
to mention by name any one of the hundreds of other Greek settlements scattered along the coasts of the Mediterranean and of its tributary waters. The leading motive, as has been noticed, was economic, expansion of trade, and provision for the surplus population of a marvelously virile race. Among the effects were not only the bestowal of Hellenism in a varying degree upon the peoples of the Mediterranean basin, but also the enrichment of the Greeks themselves, and, through contact with the world, their own stupendous advance in civilization. All that the Europeans and their colonists now are in the world, the Hellenes were then in the Mediterranean basin, carriers of civilization and reapers of political and economic profit through their vital and intellectual mastery. The founding and the organization of a colony. In the planting of colonies, the Greeks of this period gradually developed a body of customs to which they felt morally bound. The founding city, Metropolis, Mother State, after obtaining the sanction of the Delphic Apollo, appointed as founder a citizen of noble family to conduct the colonists to their new home, establish the government, and after death receive worship as a hero. Often an invitation was issued to friendly neighbors to take part. A charter of incorporation was drawn up, which constituted the proposed settlement as a community, named the founder provided for the assignment of lands, and for other necessary matters, and regulated the relations between the mother and daughter cities. The tie was fundamentally one of kinship, such as binds parents and children. Well, I know that many colonies have been, and will be, at enmity with their parents. But in early days the child, as in a family, loves and is loved. Even if there come a time later when the tie is broken, still, while he is in want of education, he naturally loves his parents and is beloved by them, and flies to his relatives for protection, and finds in them his only natural allies in the time of need. These words of Plato testify to the strong bond of filial sentiment which showed itself in the participation in common religious festivals, in the reciprocal rights and honors extended by each community to the member of the other, and in the general continuity of religious, social and political usages and institutions of the old city in the new. A colony in the neighborhood of the mother state usually remained politically dependent, such as were the Athenian settlements of the 5th century, known as Clerucius, lot holdings, but so strong were the decentralizing tendencies that distant colonies became forthwith sovereign states, permanently united with the mother state, however, by the firmest bond of alliance known to the Greeks.
the colonial movement tended accordingly to widen the sympathy beyond the narrow limits of city-state while the experience gained in the framing of charters and in the organization of new communities stimulated the development of written law and constitutions and ultimately the birth of political science commerce was greatly promoted by the invention of coinage early in the middle age the minoan currency was lost to the world which in consequence returned to barter after the introduction of iron spits obols of that metal passed a small currency in the eighth century the ionians reviving the minoan custom began to use as coins striated drops of electron a natural amalgam of gold and silver probably they were before the lydians in the adoption of a coinage from the early seventh century ionian and lydian issues may be approximately dated west of the aegean sea the aeginetans were the first to stamp coins their type was a two drachma piece of about 194 grains giving 97 grains to the drachma the latter considered equivalent to six current obols would furnish silver for an american quarter of a dollar this double drachma was called a tertis from the figure of that reptile stamped on the face it passed current not only in Aegina, but also for a long time in the Greek peninsula, on many of the islands, and in Hellenic colonies of Italy and Sicily. Chalcis and Eritrea were not far behind Aegina in coinage. Among their earliest issues were various denominations in electron. Their standard coin, however, was a silver piece weighing about 135 grains and therefore much lighter than the aeginetan attic chronicles of later time regarded this piece too as a double drachma it passed current in the numerous ubique colonies and was adopted by solon as a standard for athens the silver contained in this drachma is worth in american money a trifle more than 18 cents end of section 4